0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com.
1: Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening on this Veterans Day. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville.
2: And I'm Matthew Petty in Orlando today. Thank you to all who've served. Well, this week, a Republican rout in Florida, that's even as a red wave that some had predicted across the rest of the country, failed to materialize. Yeah,
1: that's right, Matthew. Now, speaking to his supporters on election night, Governor Ron DeSantis, who won re-election by nearly 20 points, boasted of rewriting Florida's political map.
3: Thanks to the overwhelming support of the people of Florida, we not only won election... We have rewritten the political map.
1: Now, the governor repeating themes that have played well with his base and antagonized his opponents on the campaign trail, touting his record on keeping the state open throughout most of the COVID pandemic and lashing out at so-called wokeism.
2: Meanwhile, Senator Marco Rubio also won re-election comfortably and Republicans now have a supermajority in the state legislature. At the same time, another Florida resident, former President Donald Trump, is taking aim at DeSantis as he teases another run for the White House. Let us know your thoughts on the election results. Give us a call. We're at 305-995-1800. That's 305-995-1800. You can tweet us as well, at Florida Roundup.
1: Let us know how you voted and your thoughts about the results. We begin the hour now with Susan McManus, USF Distinguished University Professor Emerita in political science and a much quoted political analyst. Susan McManus, a pleasure to have you back on
4: the show. Well, really nice to be here. And thank goodness we're not in Georgia where we still be watching (laughs) endless ads. That's right. At least we are
1: spared any more ads. Uh, Such a good point. Now, of course, these were expected results. What are your main takeaways from the midterms and particularly the governor's re-election?
4: The first big takeaway is that Democrats have been struggling for the last couple of election cycles, but it really came to a head this year. Their failure to do some really deep diving demographic work prior to an election and their messaging was a little off and they certainly were not effective at getting their typical supporters to the polls. And that's because so much changed during the pandemic. Between like 2021 20, and, and now, and even 2020, a lot more people moved into Florida. We were gaining population when other places were losing. And some studies, of course, have shown that many of the people who moved to Florida brought Republican voting patterns with them, uh, even though some of a lot of them were from blue states. And secondly, we were also noticing a lot of people switching parties during that time period. And I analyzed the party switchers since January 21 to the end of September, almost, you know, just a couple of weeks before book closing. And it was clear that Republicans were attracting more switchers, people to, to leave the Democratic Party, more were leaving the Democratic Party and going Republican than vice versa. And even people who are NPAs that switched to a party were almost three to one going to the Republicans. So the whole population composition of the state changed. And Democrats themselves are acknowledging that they really missed some of these big population waves that surely can make a difference. There's an old saying in politics that you can't in Florida, because it Mm. changes so much, that you can't use data from an election two years prior and win in a current election. That's, I think, exactly what happened in Florida Democrats.
1: It's so true. Uh, So many people moving here in the last few years have really changed the political calculus. And, you know, Susan, it was interesting because across the country, concern about abortion rights was a big driver of Democratic success at the polls and staved off a red wave around the country, but not in Florida. Why do you think uh, the focus on abortion rights fell short here? Because there are rumblings that Florida will further limit access to the procedure next
4: year. We again have to go back and look at history and let's just go back to 2020, a presidential election year when of course turnouts higher than it usually is in a midterm. And the same was true this time. But in the 2020 election, if you look at women voters in Florida, there was just a 3% difference in how they voted. So 3% more Florida women in 2020 voted for Biden than voted for Trump. And in the exit poll that we just saw here, it was a 5% gap, but this time it was 5% more Florida women voting for DeSantis than voted for Christ. So it's often said that Florida, and it was true in 2020, has the uh, most competitive Uh, most divided women's vote of just about any other state. And Mm. consequently the, you saw that uh, it was not abortion just wasn't the issue. And when you look at voter turnout, it was a lot higher in some of the suburban areas and the sort of moms for Liberty movement was very effective in a lot of these areas. And secondly, though, women in most households, And it's still shown to be true by academics, uh, control the purse strings. And so obviously inflation Mm -hmm. was shooting up. Mm -hmm. And if I go back to the summer, Democrats were in the driver's seat all over the country after the, you know, sort of Kansas ruling. But when fall hit, two things happened in Florida that really changed things with the women's vote and solidified the direction that it ended up. One was the start of school where it reminded a lot of parents about problems with schools all over again. The summer, they weren't thinking about it. But secondly, and we see most importantly, based on the exit polls, was the sharp just shoot up of inflation and how much things were costing. And so it really is not. It's too difficult once you know these background facts to understand why the abortion issue just didn't catch fire here. And a lot of Florida Democrats, like elsewhere, were complaining that the candidates, particularly Chris and Demings, just didn't adjust their message to reflect that kitchen table issues were really dominant in our state.
1: 305-995-1800. We'll go to your calls in a moment. Let me ask you about this as well, Susan. Uh, uh, Another Florida man. (laughs) Former President Donald Trump, in the wake of these midterm results, has been taking aim at Ron DeSantis on his website, Truth Social. Of course, uh, former President Trump was banned from Twitter after the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. In his Truths, that's what uh, tweets are called on this website, Trump says he actually used the resources of the FBI to help the governor win in 2018. Nikki Freed, who ran and lost in the Democratic primary for Florida governor, is saying this should be investigated. I wanted to get your thoughts about this and what looks to be an incredibly bruising primary fight on the Republican side between these two Florida
4: figures. It was anticipated and it was ironic that I was getting more inquiries from Reporters and news people from outside of Florida about the friction between the two than I ever was hearing from, you know, Florida inside Florida. But this has been a battle that's been brewing. It was just a matter of not only if it would explode, but when. And now we know it really exploded even before the election with uh, Trump's comments about DeSantis and giving him the nickname when he was in Pennsylvania. So this is really. Uh, not the greatest thing at all for Republicans, and I'm just wondering, as are a lot of other people, how well this is going to sit with Florida Republicans who just really worked hard to have a record-breaking election, and all of a sudden there's, you know, a split right down the middle on on Trump versus DeSantis. It, it can't be a good feeling, but you know, at the same time, you see frictions already emerging within the Democrats across the country, a focus on the age of President Biden and there are a lot of Democrats who really don't particularly want him to run again and I think there's a common theme that we're going to see evolve as we get closer to 2024 and I'm sure a lot of people don't even want to hear about 2024 we're mm. inundated but that is the generational split because what I'm sensing is that a lot of Americans are ready to, to, to you know accept generational replacement and pass the torch on to younger generations. And I think that you're going to have a movement within both parties to nominate younger candidates in 2024 for president.
2: Interesting. And we'll be talking to one of those Gen Z candidates later in the program, Maxwell Frost, Congressman-elect from the Orlando area. Speaking with Susan McManus, political scientist on the Florida Roundup. Give us a call, 305-995-1800 is the number. Send us a tweet as well, at Florida Roundup. What went right for the Republicans this election? What went wrong for the Democrats? Uh, Let's go to Michael. Michael, you're on the air.
0: Hi, yes, thank you so much. Um, I just had a quick question. So what impact did redistricting have on the midterm election cycle and did gerrymandering play a big role?
2: Thanks so much for your call, Michael. Susan, this is right in your wheelhouse. What are your thoughts?
4: <laughs> well, first of all, let's remind your listeners that uh, the current map that was used in this election is being litigated. And it could very well be that the map gets redrawn, depending upon what one of the court orders or how that goes. Uh, And it wouldn't be unusual because after the last redistricting and last couple of redistrictings in Florida, the maps have had to be adjusted after the election. But because the challenges and the redistricting itself came so close to the election, courts and the legislature had officially passed a map as a task to do under the Constitution. The governor signed it. The court said, OK, uh, we'll just have to keep this map as is right now. A lot of it had to do with having to mail ballots overseas and things of that nature that are federal law on elections. And so they just let the map go. Um, and that's been the case in a couple of other states. And on the other hand, you've had similar kinds of patterns in Democratic controlled states. It's going to be real interesting to see. And obviously these cases are bound for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, they'll probably be combined, but it, it's going to be interesting to see whether the court rules that you have to use race as a major issue or factor. Mm. Uh, they also have the affirmative action case, which is sort of on along the same line. So I think right. this whole redistricting, man, yes, it did help Florida Republicans. And in fact, they, you know, they had four seats, mm-hmm. and if the Republicans hold on to gain control of the House, they can thank Florida for delivering four of those votes.
2: Indeed, uh, let's go to Hope in uh, Tampa. Hope, you're on the air.
5: Hi, um, I found um, Ron Santos's comment about redrawing the political map um, ironic, considering that we have all this gerrymandering. That we know is happening in Florida. And I also think that the um, the media and the general perception in Florida, which was that DeSantis was going to win, I think it discouraged a lot of Democratic voters who simply didn't show up
6: because they hmm. just thought there was no point.
2: Right. Talk of a red wave there, maybe suppressing vote a little uh, turnout rather a little bit. Uh, Susan McManus, what, ab- what about that? What about that turnout? And-
4: I absolutely agree with the the caller, because it is true that if you don't think that your vote's going to matter much, why bother? And when these polls started to show double digit leads for, you know, the not only the governor and, and well, not Rubio so much, he was sort of high single digits. You have to think that that did depress people who were already kind of well, kind of iffy about voting to begin with. Because we often forget that the normal pattern is for fallout for a great fallout or fall off in turnout in a Mm -hmm. midterm election. It's never as high as it is in a presidential. But the one group that it tends to depress the most in are younger voters. And believe me. When we actually can run the data once the things are finalized, we're going to see that young voter turnout, which is essential, essential for Florida Democrats to win statewide races, was nowhere near what it, want, it needed to be for Democrats to prevail. And younger people are some of the first to get busy and other things and uh, look at numbers like that in the polls and say, well, why bother? So she's right.
2: Hmm. message here from Twitter. Representative Ana Eskamani from the Orlando area says, Can't talk about Florida election results without talking about the major spending disparity between the left and the right. It's not as simple as candidates or messaging national groups divested from Florida after 2020 and made it even harder to get the message out to the public. Uh, There is a lot of money sort of floating around in this this, uh, election cycle, a very expensive state to run. An election, and right, Susan McManus, thoughts on the kind of imbalance there and the spending.
4: Well, certainly Democrats suffered tremendously from lack of support from the national party. I think it was in twenty eighteen something like one or almost close to two million, and this time, uh, you know, I mean, it was fifty fifty some million in twenty eighteen, and only a couple million this time. You cannot run statewide races. Uh, with that kind of a fall off in your money because it costs money to buy media Mm -hmm. and of course the other thing that's happening is that now there's more and more and more types of media it's no longer just broadcast television and radio it's social media and it's different social media networks it's you know it's doing the work on who are the influencers it's Radio and particularly Latino South Florida, Latino South Florida, uh, there are multiple places that you have to buy media. And if you're short on funds, it does make it difficult. And there's no question about it. The disparity between the amount of money that Republicans had and Democrats had to work with this cycle was like night and day. And it was a real problem. And it also affected the ability of the Florida Democrats to nurture and promote a lot of their first-time down-ballot candidates, particularly for the legislature. And then looking at all the women who ran for office this year in Florida, and I've been looking at that, there were a lot of first-time candidates, particularly women of color, who decided they weren't waiting on the parties to recruit them. They were going to run on their own. Well, if you're a Democrat in Florida, you need to look right at that group of women and you need to start going to them and nurturing them and encourage mm-hmm. them to run again because you have to run several times to win a lot of times. But money was a big, big, big problem for Democrats.
2: Let's go to uh, Flavy now in Tampa. Flavy, Hi. Hi. Hey.
5: Hi, thank you so much. Um, so I was really was calling after hearing a comment about how uh, hopefully in 2024 we're going to get some younger candidates. Yep. Uh, for a lot of these positions in office, I really feel in my in my entire life, I've just seen the oldest generation being an overwhelming majority of representation in local government, state government, and federal government. And it's really disencouraging to, you know, have people who aren't going to be here in the next mm-hmm. 50 years making all the decisions for people who are going to be here in the next 50 years. So, And I heard you guys are going to have Maxwell Frost on here. I think that his story is absolutely amazing. He's the same age as me, and to right. think that somebody the same exact age as me is going to be making decisions, you know, and, and bettering our state, and and just in a position where they can actually make some change is really exciting. And I'm just hoping that he lights a fire under a lot of people my age, and that we get a lot more representation for for all age groups, in fact.
2: Flavy, thanks so much for your call. Appreciate it. Uh, In the last 30 seconds or so here, Susan McManus, that kind of echoes what you were saying about the next generation sort of needing to come in and and make some change.
4: And the parties are going to have to adjust, too, because there is a huge group of people called No Party Affiliation, and that's the growing segment of our population and frankly both parties are kind of flat in
7: terms of yeah. their percent we're going to have to we're going to have to wrap it up there
2: we're going to have to wrap it up there thanks so much for your time uh, susan mcmanus usf distinguished university professor emerita in political science appreciate your uh, insights yeah
1: great insights thank from you for susan. having me thank you and up next florida no longer a purple state more on the state's shifting politics when we come back here on the florida roundup from florida public radio
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, always be celebrating.
1: Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for being with us on this Veterans Day. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville.
2: And I'm Matthew Petty in Orlando. Well, for decades, Florida was billed as the ultimate swing state in the year 2000. The whole presidential election came down to a handful of votes here in the Sunshine State.
1: Yeah, I mean, who can forget the Florida recount, Matthew? That was my introduction to the state when I moved Mm -hmm. here in the summer of 2000, the first big story I covered. Uh, But of course, in recent years, Florida, a formerly purple state, has gotten ever more red. That was borne out in Tuesday's midterm results as voters here continued their rightward turn. This even as many other states rejected Florida-style politics this week. A little later in the hour, we'll go to your calls about Florida's reddish cast. Let us know how you feel about the states shifting politics. 305-995-1800 or tweet us at Florida Roundup.
2: But first, Republicans point to several factors behind their success here in Florida. For more, I spoke with Edward J. Poswale. Poswale is the CEO of Tripp Scott Law Firm and former chairman of the Republican Party of Broward County. Well, Ed Poswale, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
7: I appreciate being with you.
2: So this landslide by Republicans in Florida, is this something that you saw coming? Were you surprised at all? Well,
7: I mean, I don't think anybody could anticipate the sheer size of the landslide, but it was pretty clear that voters were effectively rewarding good governance on the state level. And that certainly started with Governor DeSantis. The things that the state government did uh, along with in tandem with local governments in Florida to keep Florida open during COVID, keep businesses open, uh, keep schools as open as possible, bring back children as soon as it possibly health, uh, health wise would allow. And all of the things that Florida has done in the last handful of years to put it in a strong financial position with no state income tax, all those things culminated into what is what I consider to be not only principal governance, but competent governance. And that's what Governor DeSantis, uh, frankly, was rewarded by Florida voters, both Republicans and Democrats and, frankly, independents as well. You don't win Florida by nearly 20 points without uh, getting a lot of support from those who normally wouldn't wouldn't support a Republican.
2: If you just come back to the notion of Florida being kept open and a winning strategy, as you say, when it comes to education and the economy, I mean, the flip side of that is there is still that high death toll from COVID-19 and a lot of pushback on some of those policies when it comes to public education and the approach that the DeSantis administration took uh, during that. I mean, I wonder, Ed Pozwoli, do you think if the election had been held sooner after the uh, after the start of the pandemic, could we be looking at a different scenario there? Or do you think the fact that the margin was, was the way that it was just suggests that there wasn't really any doubt in the, in the voters who supported uh, DeSantis?
7: A couple of things. One is, let's be blunt about it. In hindsight, we know the approach that Florida took under Governor DeSantis was the correct one. And so we can say it all we want about what happened during COVID. Of course, he took a lot of grief from a lot of people on the left and other states that were completely shut down, like New York, like New Jersey, like Michigan, like California. Those approaches didn't work. Why didn't they work? Well, it didn't impact COVID, one. And two, what it left was a huge wake of failed businesses that, that couldn't reopen. And so small businesses were greatly impacted in In those states, unlike Florida, because he kept those businesses open and alive, as well as getting kids back to school and around the country. There were great effects by keeping students out of school for an extended period of time. And so we're now feeling those effects. And clearly, Florida mitigated those uh, those impacts on children by getting them back to school when it was appropriate, when it was healthy, when we had the data that showed. That uh, it wasn't an impact on students as much, and the bottom line is that the impact the alternative was to have them greatly fall behind on their education. And so, in in the end, in retrospect, 2020 uh, hindsight, DeSantis's approach with respect to keeping businesses open and protecting people's livelihoods and getting their kids back to school as quickly uh, and as practically as possible under the co- under COVID was the Right approach, and and so was that part of the reason why people rewarded him uh, with a with a historic vote total? Yes, I'm sure. But the state is well run and has been well run under him, and it's just a level of competence. And I think he was rewarded for that level of competence.
2: And coming back to the notion of good governance, too, there are issues clearly with the state's homeowners insurance situation that still hasn't been completely sorted out. I think there are plenty of people who might say more needs to be done there. Is that something that you see Governor DeSantis having to, having to turn his attention to pretty promptly after this?
7: Look, a lot of things are... So as an example, we have a little bit of a housing bubble because a lot of people are moving here from New York and from uh, the Midwest. And so you're, you're going to have some of those impacts on some things like increasing housing costs, which you are going to have to be dealt with. Example of, of insurance rates. Uh, homeowner's insurance rates, property rates. This is a symptom of success, but I would say to you that those things, people have confidence that the state government under Ron DeSantis will address those issues uh, with this legislature, as well as the people that are up there. I mean, look, just as an example, competence matters. So when you're in an emergency, like we did a month ago in, in the hurricane that hit the West Coast of Florida, the state response was nothing short but exceptional.
2: Those three big counties that have backed Democrats in recent years, Miami-Dade, Palm Beach, and Osceola County, how significant is that change in the status quo?
7: Very significant because Miami-Dade, particularly Miami-Dade and Osceola are uh, large. Uh, Miami-Dade we talked about with 70% Hispanics, but Osceola has a strong Hispanic presence as well. And frankly, an Hispanic presence that normally, uh, mostly Puerto Rican that normally would not vote or consider voting for Republicans. So... Uh, clearly, the message crossed uh, crossed in and, and permeated uh, those areas. And so I think this message of freedom, this message of uh, uh, providing uh, atmosphere, an environment where you can uh, pursue your dreams as a family, both educationally and from a business standpoint, those matter to people regardless uh, of who you are.
2: Let me just come back to Miami-Dade County for a moment. There are 1.5 million Latinos of voting age in that county. Seeing that county flip after it was a Democratic stronghold, what do you think the Democrats did wrong? or What was their failure in winning over Latino voters?
7: Politics sometimes boils down to a blame game. I'm not going to do that here. I think that in the end, this was a vote for good governance, for Governor DeSantis, for how the state of Florida is run so it's less of an, an indictment of what Democrats failed to do, but what Republican leadership led by Governor DeSantis did mm. and how they protected people's freedoms. Go back to that. It's easy for me to you know, take shots at the Democratic Party should have done this or that. The bottom line is the other team was pretty good in policy and, and responsive to the citizenry, and they were rewarded at the polls.
2: Just another question on that, though. We did see some Democrats in big races, Charlie Crist and Val Dennings notably campaign heavily on the threats to access to abortion. Republicans campaigns, not so much focused on that issues. Was that a misstep?
7: No, I don't know if it was a misstep or not. I I wouldn't seem to kind of redo their their approach, their strategy. But here's the bottom line. Governor DeSantis ran a great campaign. They did all the right things. But in the end, When you have a record and you run on your record and people understand what that record was and they appreciate the record, the campaign strategy becomes secondary.
2: And what does this mean for 2024?
7: That ultimately is the question, right, about what uh, I think that Governor DeSantis can do. You know, he's got to make his own decision. I think he can can certainly run for president if he wants. Uh, I do know his heart and soul is here in Florida and he's done a great job. But frankly, um, there's part of me that would be disappointed to lose him as a governor, but part of me that would really think he can do a great job as president.
2: And that was Edward J. Poswally the CEO of Chip Scott Law Firm, former chairman of the Republican Party of Broward County.
1: 305-995-1800. Inez in Miami has thoughts. Inez, how are you? Go
6: ahead. Uh, so my thoughts are that um, the, for the first time, uh, Dade County is red, uh, went red, and Florida has gone red. But I think more than anything else is that uh, the, the, if there's a fault to be placed, is the fault of the Democrats not really working harder? Um, but there was a large. Uh, uh, number of Puerto Ricans that moved to Central Florida as uh, after the hurricane, the, the Democratic Party did not even bother talking to anybody about registering as a, a Democrat. The Republicans did. Um, in Spanish media, in uh, Spanish media in uh, in Florida, it's completely Republican. There is no other voice than actual. Was the right um, what happened with uh with uh, DeSantis, uh, uh arresting uh supposedly people that were voting that were criminals that were voting when they shouldn't have been uh were all people who had been restored to right to they vote. thought right.
1: They, they were was, legally uh, allowed to vote. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for all of those points. I appreciate your thoughts because we want to discuss all that right now with Andrea Mercado. She's executive director at Florida Rising, a grassroots group working to increase the voting and political power of Florida's black and brown communities. Andrea, good to have you on the show. Great to be here. And of course, that caller uh, expressed frustration that Democrats didn't message more particularly to uh, Hispanic, Latino voters. Of course, a lot of that is comes down to money. Uh, the Republican Party spent hundreds of millions in this state uh, in the midterms. The Democrats spent tens of millions. They didn't have as much money. That's a big part of it. But there are other factors. What's your reaction to the results and how is Florida Rising going to respond?
8: Absolutely. You know, this isn't a story of Democratic voters switching parties to vote Republican in Florida. It it is the story of Republicans supercharging their base, suppressing votes and Democrats not investing in in voter turnout. Um, We saw. we were abandoned by Senate Majority PAC, House Victory PAC, the Democratic Governors Association. You know, they gave over $58 million in 2018 and less than $1.5 million this year. So all told, you know, we were outspent more than $252 million and you just don't win the races that you don't fight. Um, and, you know, I think we we do need the Democratic Party to put forward candidates who inspire Democratic-leaning voters who are sitting it out, um, invest in turning out um, Black and Latino and young voters. You know, this year, less people voted than voted in 2018. Um, our turnout was abysmal, and I think that there's a, a lot of work to be done and a long road ahead. Let's talk about that. The turnout uh, effort
1: for Democrats in this state in off year cycles uh, isn't the same as what you see uh, during a presidential election. How does Florida Rising work on voter turnout and how big a part of your uh, mandate is is dedicated to that? Tell us about
8: the issues driving your work. Yeah, you know, there are so many of us that didn't give up on Florida Candidates, organizers, volunteers, organizations like Florida Rising, Um, we did bilingual, we did campaigns in English, Spanish and Haitian Creole. Um, We knocked on over half a million doors with Florida for All. Um, we, We will never give up fighting for our families and communities. But this is the third largest state in the country. It's 23 million people, it's 14 media markets. And so, you know, I think we do need work to be invested in to be permanent and persistent and strategic. Um, Florida is incredibly swingy, you know, Kerry lost by five points, and then Obama wins by three. I mean, th- these numbers actually are, are not, um, while they're very disappointing, and they are alarming, we have seen massive swings in the Florida electorate, just based on who's turning out, because there's, there's over 4 million voters of color and young voters that are eligible to vote, but are not registered or are sitting it out. And we know that these are voters who can make an impact on these election results. And it it takes work um, to talk to people and about why voting matters and why they should participate in in our democracy.
1: Got to vote whatever your politics, folks. Uh, If you don't vote, you can't complain. Uh, Let's go to Brian in Miami Gardens. Brian, go ahead. We we can't hear you so well, Brian. Uh, Let's try another call. Uh, Donna in St. Cloud, Florida. Donna, how are you? Go ahead?
6: Well, go ahead, Donna. I'm a lifelong Republican, and I did not vote for one Republican this year, and for our state of Florida because the ramifications of Governor DeSantis's decisions on how he's handled or not handled the homeowners insurance issue, the abortion issue. And the Disney, uh, the Disney debacle. The state of Florida, um, people who are going to be paying those uh, extra taxes. We don't know how all that's going to pan out. Thanks,
1: Thanks so much for your thoughts, Donna. So Andrea, you know, uh, it's been fascinating to watch these results here in Florida and across the country. Different results mm-hmm. in much of the country than Florida. Uh, in the short bit of time we have left, how is Florida rising approaching the next year in the state?
8: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the caller's sentiments are aligned with what we do see is most Floridians actually do agree with um, Democratic platform policies, with common sense gun control, with action to protect the environment, with with women's rights. Um, But know we our message won't resonate without investment to talk to people and meet them where they're at and um you know so we've been working a lot on rent stabilization on the housing affordability crisis Um, we saw a majority of people in orlando vote for rent stabilization which is tied up in the in the courts right now um and that is our uh, our work we we believe that the work to Um, build a new majority coalition needs to be permanent, needs to be persistent, needs to be strategic, and so um, we will continue to be out there on those doors, to be out in community, Um, and there are a lot of down-ballot candidates who I think give us hope, people like Marlene Bastien who will fight for living wages and for housing in Miami-Dade, or school board members who will stand against DeSantis um, to ensure proper I, education and, and, and learning and, and environment. Uh,
1: not to cut you off, but I want to thank you, Andrea Marcardo, Executive Director at Florida Rising. Thanks. Thank you.
2: Up next, Gen Z goes to Washington. We'll talk to the youngest new member of Congress who got elected from right here in Florida. That's when the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio returns.
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com.
1: Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for being with us. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville.
0: And I'm
2: Matthew Petty in Orlando on this Veterans Day. Well, the votes are still being counted to determine the balance of power in Washington. But one thing is for sure. Gen Z has officially arrived in the halls of Congress with a new face from Florida.
1: Yeah, how about that? Progressive activist Maxwell Alejandro Frost, age 25, will officially become the first Gen Z member of Congress. This after winning his race to represent Florida's 10th congressional district in central Florida. Ross defeated 72-year-old Republican Calvin Wimbish, a retired Army Green Beret and conservative activist. Now, this seat in Congress was vacated by Democratic Rep. Val Demings during her unsuccessful run to unseat Republican Senator Marco Rubio. Let's hear it. Gen Z, give us a call, 305-995-1800, or tweet us at Florida Roundup.
2: That's right. We've already heard from some of those Gen Z listeners yeah. earlier in the show. I want to hear from some more of you, though. Well, let's welcome in U.S. Representative-elect Maxwell Frost. He joins us now. Thanks so much for being here.
3: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
2: So your election was one of the few success stories and otherwise pretty dismal showing in the midterm election for Florida Democrats. Why do you think you prevailed where many of your fellow Democrats didn't?
3: Well, you know, I think two things. I think first off, it really had to do with our messaging. You know, we, we, we we really stayed on message and stayed talking about what I'm fighting for, right? And what the campaign is for. And we weren't scared to talk about our bold North Stars. You know, I believe that... In this country right now we need bold transformational change that's why i believe that everyone should have health care everyone um, should be able to live free of gun violence we need um, to take bold moves to combat the climate crisis and so all these different issues i think really spoke to the voters and then on top of that the second thing is the way we get the message out and Andrea was just kind of talking about this is you know we need to ensure that we're meeting people where they're at. And that's something my campaign did. You know, we did the more traditional things like TV and mail and all mm-hmm. that. We also did a lot of social media and we also knocked doors and we also did phone calls and we knocked the doors of people who traditionally don't vote as well, uh, which usually doesn't happen on campaigns.
2: Right. Now, President Biden, called, uh, he sort of shouted you out in a post election press conference. He also called you Tuesday night. What did you two talk about?
3: Well, the first thing he told me, and for folks who don't know, is that President Biden, when he got elected to the Senate, was actually 29 years old. You have to be 30 years old to sit in the Senate. So he, he had a birthday, I, I think it was a few days right before his swearing in. So the first thing he asked me is if I have to wait for a birthday, and I told him, no, you know, Mr. President, you got me beat on that one. I'm already 25, so I can, I can be sad.
2: Mm-hmm. You are 25, the as you say, the first Gen Z member of Congress. How do your legislative priorities address the concerns of your generation?
3: Well, you know, I, I think really, and wh- you know, when people ask me, what a Gen Z care about, do they care about different things? I don't think that Generation Z or young folks care about different issues than everyone else. I think we all really want the same things, right? We want safety. We want resources to tap on the opportunity. We want to have our basic necessities met. Um, but the difference is that Gen Z and young people see it through a different lens. Um, you know, the, a lot of these same issues, when we talk about the economy, um, you know, we talk about things like the crushing student debt and crushing debt that a lot of young people have right now. We We know it's not because we live beyond our means, but it's because we've been denied the means to live. And the, the, what we do is we take a step back, we view the issues holistically, and we say, wow, we, this is why we need healthcare for everybody. This is why we need folks to have a thrivable wage. Or this is why unions are important, because what it does is create the conditions where people are able to smart, start their small business or you know go learn how to play the guitar or whatever, right? like do what they want to do, get involved in their arts, whatever. Um, but the, the most important thing is ensuring that we have an economy that works for everybody, and we don't have that right now.
2: is the number if you want to put a question to Representative uh, representative Elect, I should say, Maxwell Frost from the Orlando area. Uh, You can send us a tweet as well at Florida Roundup. Uh, Speaking of student debt, a federal judge in Texas just striking down President Biden's student debt relief program. Thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's completely it's really unfortunate and hope that we can, um, you know, there'll be some recourse around that. And uh, I'm a big fan of what the president did. it's not everything we needed. Right. I believe in full student debt cancellation, but it is a huge first step. And it's something that is going to impact the lives of so many folks. And it's not just young people. Right. When we talk about student debt cancellation, I think a lot of times we we think it just impacts young folks. But there are folks of all ages who have crushing student debt. So this is something that's really for for our country that's going to take off the shackles of debt from so many people and is really important. And it's part of the reason why gen z and young people really came out um you know people were predicting a red tsunami a red wave um in the midterms and we saw that that did not happen and you know democrats it's a smaller path but we still have a path to holding the house as well and that was because of gen z and young voters that came out um if they didn't come out then we would have seen a red wave and a lot of that has to do with some of the big wins president biden has had that young people are excited about things like um, him investing the most amount of money we've seen in modern history uh, to combat the climate crisis uh, through the Inflation Reduction Act. It has to do with the student debt cancellation. Um, it has to do with um, actually passing a bill on ending gun violence. It's not everything we need, but it's a great step forward. And young people understand that, um, and that's why they showed up. And
2: Three you're five you, nine nine five, 1800 is yeah, the number. Yeah, Go for it.
1: Yeah, you're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Uh, So, Maxwell, you know, you're going to Congress with control of the House of Representatives and the Senate still up in the air. You'll be adding a very progressive voice to the Democratic side of the aisle. But uh, if Republicans do retain control of that chamber, how will that affect the way you approach your first term in Congress?
3: You know, I, I don't think it really changes the the approach. I think it just changes, you know, what's what's possible and what makes sense. Um, but we do know with the numbers now that if the Republicans do gain the House, it's going to be a very, very slim majority, which means that a lot of these Republican members that were elected in districts that are heavily blue, um, you know, those are folks that I think we have the opportunity to really work with um, to kind of get past the partisan divide and, and pass good legislation. I mean, like, you know, people are going to be expecting work to be done. You know, we've gotten a lot done the past two years, a lot of great packages and bills passed from the bipartisan infrastructure package, which is going to uh, which is directly going to help Central Florida with our public transit and the expansion of uh, Bright Line and helping to save SunRail. But also um, when we talk about gun violence and when we talk about student debt cancellation, everything like that. Um, and so for all that to just stop um, if Republicans took over the House, isn't too smart of a political move. And so I know that there'll still be room to pass bold legislation, even in a Republican-controlled House. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with working with people across the aisle, especially those members who, um, you know, got elected in kind of heavier blue districts.
1: Jad in Oakland Park calling into the show. Jad, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Hi. um, So I think
5: think what's missing uh, from the national discourse as far as um What affects uh, our generation, you know Gen Z is uh housing cost and how and the high cost of housing is a big problem in South Florida. Um, I think we need to kind of have that discussion of national scale it goes, it, it, there's there's a lot of discussion at the local scale, um but what can we do at the national
1: scale? yeah representative elect Frost housing is a big problem paying the rent, not just for gen Z, yeah.
3: No, 100%. Um, I, I, I completely agree. Housing is something I, I talk about a lot. I mean, we know we we have one of the worst affordable housing crises in the entire country here in Central Florida. Um, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, there's a lot that can be done on the local level. Um, we saw Andrea just spoke about this. Um, so many Central Floridians come out and vote yes on rent stabilization, which was great. And even though we don't know the ultimate fate of it because it's it's being litigated right now. Um, I think that shows where Central Florida is at. They want lower housing costs. They want um, to, to 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 be able to live in affordable housing and it's about affordable housing but it's also affordable housing near opportunity and it's also about affordable housing near opportunity and near your home and the fact of the matter is i mean you, i mean hey you can get affordable housing if you want to move out of central florida and have a two-hour commute or a 90-minute commute which we're seeing the average commute time continue to rise for central floridians but the fact of the matter is it's not it, it's housing but it's not just housing it's housing in orlando um, it's housing near opportunity, near your work, near your family, near you, where you want to be. And so, there's a lot that needs to be done. We see these um, these developers buying up properties, and these you know guys from St. Pete and out of state um, and jacking up the rent prices. This is something that personally impacted me. I mean, I didn't have a place to live for about a month uh, because my rent went up so much after mm. the rent hike freeze was taken out. So, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, I this is an issue I'm very passionate about. Um, there are some great bills at the national level that I think would be great to pass. One's called the Housing um, for All, or uh, yeah, the Housing for All Act, uh, also a Place to Prosper Act. Um, these are all really good uh, pieces of legislation that direct the federal government um, to spend significant resources on building mixed income housing and affordable housing so that way people can actually live.
2: We've been speaking with representative elect Maxwell Frost winning in his central Florida district. Uh, he will be – he's one of the youngest members of Congress, but he'll be the first Gen Z member of Congress when he, he uh, heads up to D.C. Maxwell, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Y'all have a great day.
1: Great to have him on the you show, well, Matthew. Yeah.
2: And we've been speaking uh, about the – I guess the kind of passing through the the impacts of this election, how things are going to sort of take us forward – as we as we think ahead to the next election, Susan McManus was talking about 2024, that's already on people's minds. So already much coming. more to to think about, <laughs> right?
1: I know, uh, it's just around the corner, but uh, what a great lineup of guests on today's show, uh, breaking down these historic midterms. And thanks for listening on this Veterans Day, the Florida Roundup produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tway producers we had production assistance this week from Leslie Ovaye Atkinson.
2: WLRN's vice president of radio is Peter Mertz. Technical direction from Richard Ives. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Isabella de Silva. And Richard Ives answered the phones as well. Our theme music by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Libos at aaronleboz.com. I'm Matthew Petty,
1: and I'm Melissa Ross. Make it a great weekend. We'll be back next Friday at noon.
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through ABCFWS.com.